Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 12 tonight. Exodus 12, it's good to be with you. While you're turning there, just want to say a few words uh, from your brothers and sisters in community. We send greetings. Uh, we're down in Kalamazoo. It's not that far, um, and it, it's really not that far when you're not in a blizzard. So <laughs> it should take you a lot less time to come visit us than it took Carrie and I to get up here tonight. Uh, we would love for you to come visit us sometime. We love having uh, uh, visitors from fellow OP Church that warms our our, our hearts to see you, and it really just um, fills our services with joy. So come down sometime, maybe in the summer, <laughs> and, and see us. I am happy to be here tonight, though I'm sorry for you that you can't be hearing from your pastor, your beloved pastor. So to try to help you to that end, I'm wearing my Dale Van Dyke outfit. <laughs> now, if you know me, I'm a suit guy, I'm a bow tie guy, so I really, I mean, this is a sacrifice for me. But... I wanted to help everybody to be able to hear the word a little better if I could be channeling some Dale. So, <laughs> Exodus 12, I'm going to share with you what we're looking at in community going through this great book and providentially looking at the first Passover tonight, um, a fitting topic as we are about to come to the Lord's, the Lord's Supper. So let's give careful attention. I'm going to read the first 20 verses of Exodus 20, or Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel on the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you, on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened. 
A first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on these days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he's a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. The reading of God's word for us thus far. God's word is holy and Aaron, it is life-giving. We trust that God adds the blessing upon his reading. Now also the preaching of this word. Memories... Um, have a funny way of being formed around meals, don't they? Or maybe I should say meals have a funny way of forming memories. Uh, that's why we celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and, and, and first dates around the table. Uh, food, our experiences with food, it has this uncanny ability to unlock the senses and to lodge itself in our memories. With that in mind, maybe it makes sense of why on this very dramatic occasion in the history of Israel, they are about to make that grand exodus that God has been promising them. Maybe this makes sense of why at that moment God says, no, I want you to pause and I want you to have supper. Right? It's a little odd, isn't it? Right? They've been, they've been oppressed. They've been crying out to God. They've been... They've been crying for redemption and for rescue, and it's finally here. He's about to usher them out of slavery, but first God wants them to eat. He wants them, his people, to mark this miraculous salvation by a meal. He wants them to mark this occasion by a meal. If you think about it, there, there are any number of ways uh, this momentous occasion could have been marked, could have been memorialized. You think of man-made religions and rituals and the things that the human mind has conjured up under the guise of religiosity, the things that the human mind has said, this is what we need to do uh, to, to become more pious. This is what we need to do in our particular uh, religion to... to uh, remember our gods. So you think about the uh, human pagan worship. And in that sphere, any number of things could have been uh, suggested uh, to mark this occasion. Maybe it would be a strenuous geographic pilgrimage. You need to do this every year. Or maybe a, a very burdensome financial offering. Who knows, maybe even human sacrifice. There's, there's no end to the horrifying things that the human mind has invented under this guise of religious ritual. But not our God. What does our God say? 
what, what our God says that His people are to do for an everlasting generation to mark this moment is to have a harmless meal. Isn't that astounding? And what is this meal all about? That's, that's the aim of tonight's message, God willing. I want us to consider what this meal is all about. There's so much to, to dive into in this chapter, chapter 12 in the Passover. Um, next week, Lord willing, down at Kalamazoo, we're going to look at the blood of the lamb and, and, and what it meant for the destroyer to come through. And there's so much to talk about, but for tonight, what I want to talk about is, is this meal in particular and what it meant for God's people. I want to say four things about this meal. No doubt many more things could be said, but for tonight, uh, let's content ourselves with just four things. First, the Passover is about a paradigm shift for the people of God. The Passover is about a paradigm shift. Boys and girls, what, what does that mean? What's a paradigm shift? A paradigm shift is, is a whole uh, entirely new way of looking at things. A new way of looking at things, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of understanding life. And that's the first thing God says this meal is about. Look at verse 2. What does he say in verse 2? He says, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It all starts here, God says. This shall be the first month of the year for you. He's rearranging their calendar for them. You know, to God-fearing Hebrews, for centuries to come, uh, the Passover was literally everything to them. It meant everything. And, and it's not as though they were blowing it out of proportion. God here is saying, it's, it, in a sense, it's meant to mean everything. Uh, God says that this meal is the foundation, the starting point of their entire faith and life. Their whole world changes here, from now on, they will be defined by this act of redemption out of Exodus, out of slavery, or out of Egypt, and the Exodus from slavery. They are a people who are saved by God's mighty hand. That's who they are now. That's what defines them. This is their history in the making. And the history of God's saving act will determine their calendar. God says, your new year will begin now because I want you to remember that this is when your life began. This is when your life begins. Because after this night, it's not as though uh, that uh, the, the Egyptians will be suffering in the throes of death while the uh, Israelites are enjoying uh, life. It's more than that. It's that they'll be enjoying life as free people for the first time in generations. And that's how it's always meant to be. This is God's plan for them, that they would be his people, that they'd be a freed people. And it all starts now. And to that end, we see that the Passover meal is also about the Israelites as a people it's first a paradigm shift. Secondly, it's about a people. It's about solidifying and confirming who the Israelites were as a community. Uh, this was a meal that was meant for their community and no one else. Look at verse 3. There's a, a very important phrase that's used there for the first time in the Bible where God refers to Israel as the congregation of Israel. 
That's going to go on to be used over and over again in the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of uh, referring to Israel in a religious sense. This is who they are before God. Uh, this is the Old uh, Covenant term for church, essentially. You're the gathered people of God now, he's saying. He's confirming their identity, stamping upon them this, this sense that they belong to God as his people. And so the meal is for them, and no outsiders are allowed in. If you have your Bibles open and you just scan the page a little over to verse 43, where there are further instructions given for how this Passover is to be uh, observed in years to come, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows it the week after, Look what we find there. Verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. It's for you. It's for you. Uh, verse 48. Or verse 47. All the congregation, the church, shall keep it. It's for the church. Verse 48. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, wants to keep the Passover... Let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. And so, we see that no, uh, nobody from outside of Israel is allowed to this feast, allowed to this meal, save for one exception. Unless they bear the mark of the covenant. Circumcision. That's how foreigners are welcomed in, by, by believing the promises of God, the covenant promises of God, saying, I want those covenant promises indelibly placed upon my body because I'm not ashamed to say, he is my God and these are my people and I want to be with them. It's for the people of God. We, we see other ways in which the Passover was meant to be a communal meal, back to verse uh, 4. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. I've read verse 4, I'm sure, many, many years throughout my life, and I've often read it quickly, to, you know, read over it quickly to mean something like this. If the family is too small for a lamb, uh, meaning if they're too small to afford a lamb, then they're to go over to their neighbors, knock on the door and say, excuse us, uh, we don't have enough money to have a lamb. We saw that you have one. Would, would it be okay if we came in? Could we have dinner with you? But it's actually saying it's the opposite of that, isn't it? Saying if the family is too small to consume the lamb on their own, they're to open up their door and call their neighbors and say, come over, we're having a feast. We need you to help us out. And so the emphasis here in this instruction that neighbors are to share this feast, the emphasis is on the communal sharing of one single animal. Why? Why is this stipulation here? Well, for one reason, it's because there were not to be any leftovers after this meal. Right? It would be very tempting to say, we've roasted a lamb and, and we have some left and Word is, we're going to be hitting the road tomorrow on this great exodus. That's some wonderful breakfast fuel. I might as well just save it for tomorrow. But verse 9, God says, no leftovers. Whatever's left, if you haven't eaten it all, whatever's left, you burn it. You see, this is an, um, a moment of faith for the people of Israel. 
to say, we do believe we're about to hit the road. We do believe we have a journey ahead of us, but we also believe that God will provide for us on that journey. It's an opportunity for them to trust that God will provide. And so, they can enjoy this fellowship with one another. They could share the lamb feasting together as a community, not uh, gorging uh, uh, themselves on this lamb alone at home. But they also ate together as a symbol that God's salvation is a corporate salvation. Did you hear that? God's salvation is a corporate salvation. He's saving the whole people. Not just one family. The whole nation. They all share in the redemptive blessings of their Savior. And so, to, to symbolize this, wherever possible, they were to, to eat the whole lamb, to leave nothing behind, showing that from God's hand comes a full salvation that satisfies. So what's this meal about? It's about a paradigm shift. It's about a people. It's also about a perfect God. Through this meal, they're learning about the perfections, the holiness of their God, and they learn that lesson in verse 5 as these instructions are given for the kind of lamb that they are to sacrifice. Could it just be any lamb? No. It had to be A lamb that was without blemish, without spot, without stain, without imperfection of any kind. The sacrifice was to represent the God who demanded the sacrifice. A perfect God requires, demands, that anything that be offered to Him bear that same qualification. That same attribute, perfection. Um, now, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite cuisines is Greek, and I love gyros. In college or in downtown Philly, there's a lot of you know little trucks you could go to, and I'd grab one on the way uh, to to class. And and I'm just sure, uh, you know, years and years of eating gyros. You, do you call them gyros? I don't know. That's wrong, by the way. It's gyros. I'm sure after eating gyros, uh, many gyros, I probably had one where, you know, the lamb, uh, the sheep, uh, probably had a tough go of it before he made it to the butcher's block, you know? Maybe not the healthiest thing. Maybe he had a blind in one eye and broken leg. Did it bother me? Does it affect me? No, it still tastes really good. Uh, makes no difference to me. It would have made no difference to Israel. It makes a difference to God. This is what he demands. He's a perfect God, and he requires nothing short of that perfection for that which would be offered to him. Nothing but the best would do. That means they can't sacrifice that 10-year-old sheep that's, you know, about ready to go anyway. He hasn't been looking too good and, you know, we've only given him a couple more weeks. Why not, you know, two birds, one stone kind of situation? God says, no. You don't give me that 10-year-old, emaciated, half-dead uh, sheep that you have tied up in the backyard. You give me a lamb, a lively, healthy, 
perfect lamb, spotless lamb. You give me your very best. This, co- this would go on to become the law for all of Israel's future sacrifices. It's codified in Leviticus 22. Anytime they were to offer up an animal sacrifice, it had to meet that standard of perfection. And God takes it very seriously. Malachi chapter 1, what, what God is denouncing, you know, the, the minor prophets are often God denouncing the nation of Israel for, for sinning in various ways. And in, in Malachi, he calls this uh, sin out specifically. He says, you're bringing blind animals, bulls and goats, and, and, and sick, emaciated bulls and goats to my altar, and you're profaning my name. The perfect lamb represents God's perfect standard. But it also represents his perfect salvation, doesn't it? Uh, this is how the people are saved. Uh, God wants to see that, that blameless, uh, perfect sacrifice. He wants to see the blood of the lamb on the door posts. He wants to see that what his people bring to him is the very best, nothing short of perfect. And when God sees that, then he gives to his people the very best. He gives them a perfect salvation. So this meal is about a perfect God. Fourthly and finally, this meal is also about a preparation. Preparation. The people were to eat it, uh, prepared to leave at a moment's notice for the promised land. And that explains some of the other um, instructions that we find that maybe seem a little odd. For instance, the lamb had to be roasted. This is the quickest way to prepare uh, the animal. Eating it raw would be too dangerous, and and boiling it in water takes too long, and you're dirtying pots. No, Uh, put it over the fire, roast it all. It's the quickest way. Uh, Bitter herbs were the easiest to find and harvest. Unleavened bread did not need to rise, and so it was also the quickest bread to make. But also, bitter herbs, unleavened bread, they're not the tastiest of foods, and so this is also meant to to remind them as they taste, and they taste that bitterness. God says, this is supposed to remind you of your slavery in Egypt. You were under a, a, a harsh taskmaster with Pharaoh. It was a bitter slavery. A heavy yoke was upon you. Aren't you ready to go? Aren't you ready to get out of here? And so, they ate this meal, we read in Verse 11, with their coats on, the belts fastened, with their shoes laced up, they ate it, ready to go. And again, it's a sign of faith, isn't it? Because God said, I am about to rescue you. My salvation is near, it's at hand. Do you believe me? Then don't get comfortable. And so in that sense, the Passover meal is not a meal that they were meant to to savor in a culinary sense. To, to indulge in, in a culinary sense. Um, for her birthday, I took my wife, Carrie Ann, out to a new restaurant to us down at Kalamazoo. And uh, one of the first things they said about, the, about their establishment is that uh, we pride ourselves on not rushing you. We're all about patience here. We will not bring you, if you order two plates, we won't bring you the second until the first is finished. We want you to sit and enjoy it. And yes, it was enjoyable. It was relaxing. That's not the Passover. They wouldn't have uh, taken my coat at the door, the Passover. This is a, a God-ordained dine and ditch. Get ready to go. 
Because it's not a meal for residents, it's sustenance for pilgrims preparing for their journey. And so I think this, in large measure, is the meaning of the meal that made Israel. It's about a paradigm shift. It's about a people. It's about the perfections of God. It's about gearing up and being prepared to go. And this they were to keep in perpetuity for an everlasting generation to remember the salvation that God wrought at this moment. Like, look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. Forever. And so it should come as no surprise to us. We fast forward um, a thousand years or so, and we come to the New Testament, and we see that God-fearing Hebrews are still observing this Passover, it should come as no surprise to us. It should come as no surprise to us that we even see Jesus uh, observing the Passover and that the gospel accounts have him, actually all four gospel records, uh, make an effort to, to show him having the Passover with his disciples. That should come as no surprise to us. Here's what's surprising. At that Passover with his disciples, Jesus says... You know, you haven't actually understood this meal if you don't know me. That's, that's astounding. Right? God said that the people of Israel were to keep this feast in remembrance of Egypt. In remembrance of the Exodus. In remembrance of the salvation, the, the redemption that he wrought for those poor enslaved Hebrews. You're to do this in remembrance of that moment. What does Jesus say? He says, don't do this in remembrance of Egypt. Don't do this in remembrance of the Exodus. Do this in remembrance of me. Because I am the greater Exodus. I am that greater salvation. I am the rescue mission. It's about me. And so if we want to get a grasp on the meaning of this meal, we need to see it through the lens of Jesus, uh, through, the, through the lens of his person and work in the gospel. So Jesus takes this ancient ritual of Passover. He, does, he makes some changes to it. We call it now the Lord's Supper. We're about to partake of it in a few minutes. But really, the, the point uh, is, is to teach the very same lessons of the Passover, those four things we considered already, but now to see them in light of what Jesus has, has accomplished through his life, death, resurrection. So, for instance, the Passover that Jesus has with his disciples where he institutes the Lord's Supper, we're taught that this is to be a paradigm shift for us as believers. Christ must be our foundation. He must be our starting principle. Just as the Passover was the most uh, important uh, aspect of, of Hebrew religious life, Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, he is the most important aspect of our Christian life. Just as the Passover marked the start of, of the, the Israelite uh, calendar year, Jesus is the start of the Christian life. 
He is the history maker, but friends, he must be your history maker. He must be the hinge upon which your entire life turns. Our calendars should revolve around him, and interestingly enough, for many centuries, they did. Friends, we're nothing if we don't have him. His life, his atoning death, his resurrection and ascension, they're they're meant to mean everything to us. Do they mean everything to you tonight? The the Passover was everything for Israel. Is this meal placed before you, is it everything for you? It seems a little foolish. We uh, heard from Corinthians those words from the Apostle Paul where God likes to use foolish things and weak things. This is a perfect example you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that, that of all the, the ways that he could have been visibly or tangibly represented uh, to his followers while he's in heaven, the most powerful symbol is bread and wine. Friends, if you can't say that the body and the blood of Christ is everything to you, then Jesus is nothing for you and you have nothing. So you come to him. You come to him who is all goodness and glory. You come to him and when you come to him, you find out that you come also uh, to a people. This meal is also about a people. Again, it's about confirming a corporate identity It's not just anyone that can come to the table, just as the Passover, not anybody was invited to that meal. This this is for the church. This is for the church. It's those who bear the mark of the covenant. It's those who are willing to stand in solidarity uh, with God and with his people, those who are willing to say, he is my God and these are my people and I'm not ashamed of that. I want to be a part of that. And God says, you're welcomed in. This is for you. This meal is for Harvest Church. This meal is for Community Church. This meal is for the Baptist Church down the road, the the Reformed Church down the road, every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, those places where God's people meet, He feeds them. This is for the church. And by the way, friends, that means that you know, you can't say that, that he's just your Jesus. He's just your Jesus. That if that's your thinking, if that's your mindset, then, then you don't have the Jesus of the Bible. Yes, he is your Jesus, but he's a corporate savior. He doesn't belong to just one individual. He belongs to a multitude that cannot be numbered. He's a corporate savior. His is one body that is broken for all the church, and we feast on his one body. So do you see how God was preparing Israel to learn something about their Messiah? Right? Because the whole way back at the first Passover, the instruction was to share the lamb, just as you and I in a moment will share the Savior at the table. We share Christ. He's not to be hoarded to oneself. We 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 can't gorge ourselves on his benefits and leave others out. In fact, Paul will, will denounce that behavior in Corinthians. Rather, the principle is this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. 
And just like that lamb, we take him all. There are no leftovers. His is a full salvation from the pen of the Apostle Paul. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. From his fullness, we have all received everything that we will ever need. His is a salvation that fully satisfies. Jesus also shows us that this meal is still about the perfection that God demands, but that perfection can only be found in him. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the only pure sacrifice, pure in his conduct, in his thoughts, in his affections, pure in his religion, pure in body even. Not a single one of his limbs was broken. He is the only one that meets that, that criteria of perfection that a, that a holy and perfect God requires. God wanted to see Israel pleading the blood of the perfect lamb, not, not by trying to, to curry, uh, or, um, or not, not to put out other things by means of curing favor with God. And likewise, God wants you to plead the blood of his son, not anything else that you think is pretty good. And, you know, I'm impressed with it. Maybe God will be too. No, he wants his son. His son. And when we offer his son, we offer the son to the father, God offers us that full, perfect salvation. That's what you're guaranteed when you put your faith in Christ. It's a perfect redemption, a perfect rescue from all of sin and suffering, from all the powers of hell, uh, from the tyranny of the devil, from the temptations of this world, uh, from, from even your own struggles, will be delivered from all of it. It's a perfect salvation. No plan B, no contingencies, no hiccups. He's the perfect salvation from a perfect God because he is the perfect God. And the question is, finally tonight, friends, are you ready for that salvation? Are you ready for it? We come to this table in a manner not unlike the Israelites. This is teaching us that lesson of being prepared. In Luke's gospel, we're told that Jesus tells his disciples that this Lord's Supper meal is, is actually eaten in anticipation of another meal. He says, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It's as though he says, dear brothers, I'm going away, but don't worry, we will be together soon, and we will have another meal. We will have a feast. And so Paul instructs us familiar words, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Until he comes. We, we eat with this anticipation. We come to the table. We don't come to lounge or to indulge or to gorge. We come with our coats on and with our, our, our shoes laced up and with our walking staff in our hands, as it were. We come 
ready to go. We're, we're, we're prepared for the salvation of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he could usher it in at any moment. Are you ready? The meal provides a wonderful opportunity for us to, to lift our eyes and our thoughts and our affections and our desires away from the things of this world which are passing away. And instead, uh, to, to lift our hearts and to look to heaven where Christ is, where we are hidden with Christ and God. We look to heaven and we know that's where I will be soon enough. Because it's, it's not a meal for, for, for residents. It is a meal for pilgrims on the way. Are you ready for that journey, brothers and sisters? It is a journey. And uh, though there may be sorrows and dangers ahead of us before we reach the, the glorious gates of heaven where death will be no more and There'll be no more pain or crying or sorrow of any kind. Even though we will have trials along our way, I want to tell you this and leave you with this tonight. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. And the meal preaches that message too. How could we be afraid when it is God's son who is slaughtered, God's son who is killed, who is sacrificed, and we are the invited guest, asked to, to sit down and to, to enjoy this meal. Brothers and sisters, of all the things all the things that God could have commanded us to do perpetually, perpetually throughout all generations until he comes again by means of marking his salvation, by means of memorializing his salvation, all the things that he could have demanded of us, the one thing he demands is that we enjoy a harmless meal. And that is the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God and our Heavenly Father, you indeed are so good and kind to us that you see our neediness, our weakness, our weariness, indeed uh, the hunger of our souls, the thirst of our souls, Lord, and you come to fill us and to feed us and to quench us. Lord, you give us not only your word, you give us not only your word preached and your word seen visibly and, and tasted and touched in the sacraments, we do truly believe by faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you give us yourself in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the full, free salvation that we have in him. Would you strengthen our faith? Lord, now having heard your word and now preparing to come to the table, would you strengthen our faith that we would indeed be ready to follow wherever you lead us, trusting your word that you never leave us or forsake us, and you are taking us 
to that land of perfection, the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with you forever. We long for that day. We say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.